It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford, your co-host for today's show, along with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. As we head into the new year with all of our hopes and plans, I wanted to read from Psalm 103. I'll be reading from verses 15 to 19. It reads, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Today is the second episode in a series where we are looking at the plan of God as revealed in the Jewish feasts. The prior episode in this series, and many more, can be found on the church's website at calvaryfountain.com. Well, remember it was around 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ that God established the Jewish feasts as recorded in the book of Leviticus. Today, Pastor John is going to continue to lead us through a discussion of those feasts and how they foreshadowed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor John? Oh, thank you, Dr. Ford. Yes, I'm so excited by this. <laughs> We've been talking about the plan of God. How can you not be excited by that? Amen. And, and how he gave us so many examples. I mean, we could look at the menorah, uh, even that with its the candelabra, if you will, the seven. And you can go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And we certainly see that they represent the Holy Spirit and the, and the sevenfold work the ministry, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, a powerful, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. But we can also see in that the plan of God. He, he doesn't make it so confusing. He gives us these tangible things that we have these types, these images throughout Scripture that symbolize so much. And it's not that complicated. We've really lost sight of the things that really is the Old Testament was the foundational tools, the building blocks of the whole plan of God unveiled, even throughout the mystery of the church age, the dispensation of it. And all of it's now revealed, all 66 books of the Bible, 63,000, 63,779 cross-references in God's holy wow. word. I mean, you've probably seen the picture of what looks like a rainbow with every one of the verses all tied together. And that's exactly what it does. It's one cohesive thought. It's a, a, a weaving of a grand tapestry that the grand weaver himself has seen the end from the beginning, according to Isaiah 4610. So we have to get excited by this. Amen. And I think that the Christian Church of the West has really lost sight of some of the things that were given in Leviticus 23 and 25 and in Leviticus 23 is a great outline of the feasts of Israel. And in that, so we've got these symbols that were in the tabernacle right in the middle of the camp of Israel, which again, last week we talked about its very formation looks like the cross on the ground. Again, a foreshadowing of what was to come, but there the, the Lord is dwelling with his people. He it was giving us an example of Emmanuel, right? That this That's is right. But God who is with us and wants to tabernacle with his people. And so we've got all these images of the very uh, objects within the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. You have the menorah, you have the, uh, the this uh, or incense, this place where this is a fragrance that was to go up to the Lord, fill the holy of holies, symboled uh, likened to our prayers. And then you've got the showbread table of the body that would be broken and the 
communion with us. And you see that in Leviticus chapter 1 to 5 of the, the powerful illustration of what all of these sacrifices meant. And one that was so sacred to him was the, the bread offering, right? The, the, so there, there's something about the intimacy with the Lord in these images that were presented by the menorah and the altar of incense and the showbread table. And, and then you go, of course, into the Holy of Holies where the ark was and the atonement lid was there and, and symbolized the, the blood that would be spilled for us. And we now become the vessels of the Holy Spirit, like the ark of two legs, according yeah. to 1 Corinthians 6. So it's all a wonderful symbolism that we can miss and we need to go back to be reminded of it. Yeah, just like Esther, as you know, for such a time as this, that we've been blessed to live in a time where we can look back and go, aha, yes. <laughs> look at all these things. And, light bulb. And, yeah, exactly, light bulb. And how all these things are connected together where people in prior times and people, you know, like you are saying at the time of Leviticus, really didn't have that vantage point to really understand, you know, where all these things were leading to. You know, right. it's nice for us to be able to to look back now and to be able to see a larger picture of 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 what the what the Lord's plan was and how he was planning on carrying it out. And that's what breaks my heart, though. I'm going to go on my little diatribe here, uh, get on my high horse maybe for a moment. We should be hearing the best sermons ever today. That's there is right. no excuse yeah. that people don't hear the history and the details and seeing the symbolism, because now at this stage, after 2000 years now of the dispensation of the church age, we now have all of this information at our fingertips. There's no excuse. (laughs) And yet I find myself frustrated that we as the church need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Meaning if you're looking to go to church for only 20 minutes of content, you have the wrong heart already, right? Rather, it should be, I need the truth. I want to know the truth. And in the truth, I will be set free. Right. And it's a great joy to sit in, in at the feet of those who love the word of God and communicate the love of God's word. So again, I'll get off my high horse. Now. I just think that because we have all of this so readily available, it's, it's there and the depth of God's word is astonishing it's amazing we should always be in reverential awe especially when we open up the very words of god and it is there for a reason for us to learn the old covenant's not done away with from a standpoint that it's we just read it as sort of some antiquated history but as the foundational piece of all of the plan of god unveiled and unfolding even right now before our eyes as prophecy even is still unfolding real time yeah i know for you and i both we read some of these passages with a thrill you know know, what god has revealed what has happened in the past but what he has revealed about what will happen in the future right Uh, and just the innate beauty of so much of it and so much of what it tells us about our heavenly father and his love for us that's right. Amen. And so last week, and just in our brief minutes after we were really kind of just kicking off the new year, and rightfully so, but we talked about the types as we looked at the symbolism of manna, the brazen serpent there in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, we looked at the rock that Moses struck there, Kadesh in Numbers 20, which represented Christ. And in Numbers 2, we had the very camp layout of Israel. Then we had the symbols of the tribes, the standards in which they were under, the symbols that represented each of the tribes of Israel. And then we looked at some of that symbolism by way of the four living creatures around the throne of God, the attributes of Christ himself. I mean, so then it naturally makes sense that the feasts of God that were given to Israel had a symbol to them. There was a plan in that. And so as I started off with the menorah, being a sevenfold candelabra, if you will, three with a singular mast, and then three more, that this really is a symbol of the plan of God. And, and it's not just simply candles on a stick. 
or, or as I mentioned earlier, as it symbolizes the Holy Spirit and the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's also the plan of God unveiled. And we go back to Leviticus 23 on that, and we see how the feasts are all captured in that menorah. Now, last week I hinted at the fact that the word feast is very different in our English Western culture than it was in Israel. We would think of a feast as like going to country buffet. That's, that's not it. It's not how much can we indulge or overindulge in, in gluttonous behavior that ensues. No, no, no. The, the feast is for Israel was Moed. Then it meant to keep an appointment, a holy convocation. Another word would be Mikra, which was a rehearsal implying it was a preparation for a future event, meaning that from its very inception, it was always to be a symbol of something else, right? Even though from their vantage point, they would have known not necessarily seen that finished work. It was the act of obedience to do it, knowing that God has a reason for me to do this. That's right. Right. He, He wants sacrifices to be carried out a certain way. He wanted the tabernacle to be constructed a certain way. Every detail mattered and it still does to this day. So there were seven key feasts. And I want you to keep that in mind as we think about the menorah with seven candlesticks, again, all pointing to the plan of God that symbolized seven feasts of God. The first three occurred in the spring, Nisan, is Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Then the central stick is the fourth feast, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. And this is the summer time frame for that. It's a 50-day feast. That's why we call it Pentecost, the count of 50. And it was after the Feast of First Fruits. Then we have the final three feasts. They would occur in Tishrei, and that's the fall. And that would be the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so each of these symbolize something amazing in the plan of God. Let me just hint at it right now. I won't hint. I'm just going to tell you. And then we'll build on this. It's the first three symbolize the first coming of Jesus Christ. The central stick of the Feast of Weeks Pentecost symbolized the church, the dispensation of the church age, the Holy Spirit coming and the harvest that would come in after that. And then we have the final three, which would all be symbolized with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I even believe the rapture is captured in that too, with the Feast of Trumpets. I'll explain more as we get to that. In fact, this Sunday We're talking about that at church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. I'm dedicating at least two weeks to the subject of the rapture, and you'll see it in the feasts, the very plan of God that's unveiled. So we have these seven key feasts. Now, with the seven, there's also an eighth that's tucked into the end of the seventh. And that eighth is really what's called the last great day. It really symbolizes the final work, all things being made new. Right. It's just like where the Lord will we'll talk about this, where God, the father walked the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. He will once again do that with us with a new heaven and a new earth after the full seven plan is completed. And I believe that's symbolic here because many rabbis will teach, as I do, that there's a six thousand year plan with a one thousand year Sabbath. The one thousand year Sabbath is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So we always see a macro plan that is built or at least reflected with a micro plan where there were seven days in the week, there would be seven years, the Shemitah. Then you would count seven times those seven years for a 49 count that would lead to the year of Jubilee. And so everything has a micro level to a macro level. We've talked about that. Why would God create in seven days? 
He could have created in one or right. second, six and a half days if or... he wanted. I mean, what was there's no limitation to God. He right. created time. He's, he creates time in, a, in an atemporal state. What is time to him? He could have just spoke it all and it was. But he chose to break it out over six days and rest on the seventh as if he needed rest because it was a plan to show us something greater and that the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I, he will demonstrate that a 1000 year Sabbath. So, again, there were all these feasts always pointed to the plan of God. And then we see a couple extra feasts that would be added in and, and they always symbolized what God has done. It's a wonderful statement. We see in first Samuel chapter seven, verse 12 that there was an Ebenezer stone that was planted. And I'm not talking about it, Scrooge and all that. <laughs> Ebenezer stone biblically was a statement for a, uh, to, to erect something that would be a monument to what God has done. Right. Many monuments today always testify to what men have done. In this case, it was, this is a marker so that you can testify to the next generation. Look what God has done here that we would speak of what God has done in our midst and continues to do well then there would be these other feasts that would follow and they would be like ebenezer stones purim for example we see that highlighted in the accounts of esther and then we have hanukkah which was the cleansing of the temple after antiochus the fourth these were add-on feasts specifically for israel or for the people the jewish people uh, hanukkah was not a declared or commanded feast as we'd see biblically right now it came by more a way of tradition of what god had done during the maccabean era and that was after the last of the prophetic works had been added to the old testament in that era that seems to be a period of silence we know that there's a lot of history that was unfolding there especially the maccabean revolt then hanukkah would become that tradition that ensues thereafter of what god had done in purging the temple and antiochus the fourth became a a symbol of what the antichrist would be so there was a great statement to be made in that Purim, of course, was specifically added to the people of, of Judah. Right. And, and so it, the Israelites would observe because of what this command through Judah and a, a special feast unto them and their recognition of what God had done. But the other seven was really the staple. Let's say that those are the, the the first is declared in Leviticus 23. This is the plan of God. Right. It was unveiled to be as an image to the whole world even to the Gentile church, that it's not been a mystery. It's been unveiled from the beginning, even to Genesis chapter three, uh, the proto evangelium, right? Right. That's always been that this has been the plan. It was always a foreshadowing that Christ would go to that cross, defeat death. Uh, e even when you think about that, it, it's like they didn't even understand. And yet we can look back now and go, wow, look what he was going to, and he was going to come again. Right. Right. So uh, let me, uh, we probably need to divulge into this, Dr. Ford, and just talk about in our <laughs> few moments that we have uh, the fact that in the Western culture and we're under the Gregorian calendar and we're under a different time, even during the day of we're under the Roman time system in which we start our days at midnight, right. the day the calendar shifts over, the, the, the next day begins. Mm -hmm. It was very different in the Hebrew culture. And so when it comes to translation of where we're saying our Thursday is a little different than maybe their Thursday because of the timing of things, we need to at least address that because it changes some of our paradigm, even of the Passion Week. I'm sure. Because of the first three feasts were all about the fulfillment in Christ Jesus's first coming. What we see is at Passion Week, he fulfilled all three. He fulfilled Passover, unleavened bread. And Feast of First Fruits all in one week. 
He appointed when he was going to die. Right. He appointed the days, the times, the hours, exactly when he would be with his disciples, exactly when he would be in Gethsemane to be arrested, and exactly the time he would be crucified to fulfill all of these these perfectly. It was never Satan who was in the driver's seat. It was always right. Jesus who <laughs> was, was yeah, driving this outcome. Yeah, totally true. It reminds me, and today we have an example when we watch movies and TV shows that nothing that you're watching there happens by accident right it's all supposed to sort of lead you in a certain direction and not sure, way of thinking all that exactly <laughs> so it's like nothing is happening randomly and as you're as you're speaking about this it's just the exact same thing in scripture nothing is happening randomly this is exactly the way the lord planted before the foundation of the world this is the way it was going to happen he directed it came off exactly as he planned it and he, everything that he said that's going to happen in the future is going to be exactly the same way. That's right. I, I'm not very fun to watch movies with sometimes. <laughs> My wife uh, leaned over me, leaned over to me one time. And she goes, why is he doing that? We're watching this film. And I said, well, it's because it's in the script. <laughs> and she just kind of gave me this look yeah. like, okay, you just brought me back into the real world. I was caught up in the moment on <laughs> the film. And now we're back in reality that there was a script all along. Right. That the actors are acting out right. that has been meticulously labored over to cut in certain sequences to create a certain emotion. It's yeah. all part of the script. Yeah. When, you know, when Shakespeare said all the world's a play, I'm not sure that he was really that far <laughs> off. You know, <laughs> The actors, <did> <laughs> we all have it, our right? little short period of time on the stage. And yeah, yeah, yeah. this is truth of the Lord has given a plan since day one. And he is executed perfectly to that plan, despite man, despite our sin, despite ourselves. Uh, he is macro detail oriented and yes, even micro detail oriented, even to the knowing the very number of the hairs upon our head. Because yeah. so often we could say, well, he's too busy with the macro. Uh-uh, he is yeah. totally and even in the microscopic what you can't right. see, he's even in details of like that. Yeah. I mean, so we see that over and over scripturally. But I think uh, to my point, we need to at least convey the fact that the the day began for the Jewish people at 6 p.m. Right. So at 5.59 p.m., say you're on Tuesday and it's 5.59 p.m. and suddenly the clock switches over to 6, you're now into Wednesday. So when we would be typically eating dinner together to finish up our day, their next day is already beginning. Right. And so this affects the Sabbaths. It affects all the timing of the week. And, and so we have to understand that, that, that. Let me give you an example that the Sabbath would begin at 6 p.m. on Friday and end at 6 p.m. on Saturday. So they already had to be in preparation for the weekly Sabbath. But there were also other Sabbaths that were going on. Those feasts, those holy convocations, those appointments were prescribed by God, commanded by God. They were not suggestions. They had to keep them. They had to know the counts to make sure that they kept those feasts on certain days because it always pointed to Jesus Christ. Right. The feast, all the, the first three, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, all were the first coming of Jesus Christ, all fulfilled in Passion Week. Now, think about that. If we've got the 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. type of a schedule, that means that that Passion Week had, if you want to take from Passover to the very next week with Feast of First Fruits and the ending of Unleavened Bread, you had three Sabbaths that had to be kept within a seven-day period of time, and you had the Feast of First Fruits in there. So let me give you kind of the calendar of what that would look like. So Tuesday night, Jesus would have been having Passover with his disciples. By Wednesday, 6 p.m., the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have begun. 
Now, we'll get into what each of these mean. I want to make sure that we give proper time to each of that. So over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that. What did Passover symbolize? What did unleavened bread symbolize? What did first fruit symbolize? So again, not only were they commands directly out of their experience out of the exodus from Egypt, but also had a symbol on a grander scale pointing to the first and second coming of Jesus. So here we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would have began Wednesday at 6 p.m. That means Jesus Christ had to be off the cross in the tomb, sealed up, everything ready, and they had all their preparation for the high day, which they had to treat as a Sabbath that would have begun at Wednesday at 6 p.m. That would have taken them all the way to Thursday at 6 p.m. That means Wednesday night to Thursday night was treated like a Sabbath. And originally when uh, Western writers were capturing some of that text and they saw the word Sabbath, they immediately assumed that meant Friday into Saturday. And that's where we started to get sort of our Good Friday into Sunday schedule, which isn't three days and three nights. That's where all of this dilemma comes in because we didn't fully properly understand the plan of God by way of the feast. So we have Wednesday night into Thursday night. Then you would have had Friday night into Saturday night. So Friday 6 p.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. would have also been the weekly Sabbath. A lot of preparation going on this week. And then you would have the following Tuesday night, 6 p.m. to Wednesday, 6 p.m. as the finish of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you had three days that had to be treated with utmost respect, like a Sabbath within that seven-day period of time. So the people were very busy in preparation for this. So again, we find that it's perfectly aligned with the three days and three nights, because that means that Jesus Christ was in the tomb Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, which would have been all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and at 6 p.m. on that Friday or that Saturday night, 6 p.m. Saturday night ends that sequence. Anytime after 6 p.m. on Saturday, he would have resurrected, which could have mean, I mean, that could have meant like eight on Saturday, but technically that was their Sunday. Okay, so this is where the confusion comes in. So we know that he resurrected on a Sunday. But it's because after 6 p.m. kicks off that next day. For us, we're still in Saturday. Right. For them, it was already into Sunday. So we know he resurrected on the first day of the week. And this is also symbolic because we know that the church begins on the first day of the week, Sunday, as part of Pentecost, which always symbolized the church. So again, that's how we get three days and three nights. Again, let me repeat. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night in the tomb. All day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, up until 6 p.m. Saturday. That means anytime after 6 p.m. Saturday, he's resurrected. They go out before daybreak on Sunday and they already find the tomb is empty. And it could have been any time between 6 p.m. and daybreak when the Lord was resurrected, right? So he perfectly fulfills these feasts and gives us exactly three days, exactly three nights. And in this, he fulfills Passover, unleavened bread and when he comes out of that tomb and they're clinging to him he says do not cling to me for i have not yet ascended to the father because of the feast of first fruits would indicate there's the wave sheaf offering he would be the very best the first fruits that would go up unto the lord on behalf of all of us so he fulfills all three in that week perfect that's the plan of god unveiled and that's again we're just scratching the surface here because what i want you to see then is how Pentecost plays the role in, in the dispensation of the church age. Then we get in the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, 
Feast of Tabernacles. And we start to see the plan of God revealed through that of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So again, we're just scratching the surface. I know, Dr. Ford, we're out of time. Uh, Time just gets away from us on this. But we're going to kick off next week's program. I want to talk more about Passover. We'll kick off with that. Start building in what was the symbol of what it meant for what God did with the Israelites in Egypt. How it then symbolized through to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. How the blood on the door frames would be symbolic of the blood upon us. That death would no longer have power over us. Again, all of it's symbolic. We know that the the Passover, according to the count this year, will be April 22nd of 2024. And again, sometimes Easter Sunday, as people talk about, or Resurrection Sunday, doesn't always align with the lunar count of Passover. But according to the lunar count, we can look to April 22nd this year. So again, we'll get into that more next week. I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. Dr. Ford and I always love to hear your comments, hear your feedback. We want to thank you for being a regular participant, listener, and, uh, and and just giving us great encouragement. And to listen to this broadcast and others, you can go to calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. And there you'll find this broadcast and many more in this series. And we'd love for you to share it with your friends and family alike. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. And we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care. <music>